New York, and over 15 states have a Bethlehem. Engage with the Bible with the many influences of this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Broadcasting the timeless Word of God. No matter what time it is. The Way. 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic Word as signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome in to our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news. These are the signs of the times for Friday, May 7th, 2021. This is episode 168 for those podcasting through the miracle of technology. You can find out all the ways to podcast, watch the show again, read the articles that we discuss, and ask Pastor Mark those all-important prophecy questions, which we always love receiving at thewaymedia.net. Pastor Mark, good yeah, afternoon. It's great to be here. Excited about the show. Yes. Uh, this Sunday, we have to give a shout out just because it's the honoring thing to do. And right. Sunday is Mother's Day. Absolutely. So do you have anything special planned for mom or your baby mama? We Would do. No, right? we do. Actually, it's funny now. Well, because of my weekend, it got crazy uh, because of weddings and events or whatever. So we started celebrating early. I actually took her out for Mother's Day last night. We took her out and all the family and had a special celebration and got flowers, did the whole Mother's Day thing. And so there's going to be more Mother's Day on Sunday. But because of my schedule, I had to kind of start early. and Start early. Which gives her more days of Mother's Day, yes. which I'm sure she doesn't oppose to. But um, yeah, we have some some neat things planned. We had neat things planned for her and more to go, and we had neat, we have neat things planned for our moms here this Sunday at Calvary. So I'm yes. excited about that. That's good. Yeah, you know, uh, you said flowers. Flowers is the number two gift given to moms on Mother's Day. Really? What's number one chocolate? Greeting cards. Oh, greeting cards. Oh, yeah, that would greeting be cards. Uh, it goes greeting cards, chocolate. flowers, gift cards. What? Gift cards at forty nine percent. This is based on statistics last year. Right. Then a special outing right. at 46, clothing at 39. Who is going to buy their mother clothing, really? I mean, unless you're a daughter. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Okay, it's know. interesting. And yeah. then jewelry at 34%. Wow, chocolate, chocolate didn't even make is, it in Chocolate the top did not even make it. That's unreal. I can't, to me, it would be chocolate, chocolate, and chocolate. That'd be the top three. Yes. And then you'd move on from there to yes. find out what your categories would be. <laughs> I'll take chocolate. And I'm not a mother, so it's okay. Anyway, so happy Mother's Day in advance to those yes. uh, moms, uh, because we wouldn't be here without you. So. That's right. That's right. Happy yes. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. All right. We've got a lot of great things to get to in this show, but first, it is time for some Truth in 10. This is where we answer your questions. Uh, Pastor Mark does, actually. I'll read them, and Pastor Mark will answer in 10 minutes or less. Uh, and I've got to say... Uh, Pastor Mark, are we're not just feeding the sheep? Uh, we're not just uh, feeding the sheep, but uh, you know, a lot of times there's sheeples that are out there that will just take what is being said, whether it's in the media or whatever, as fact. Right. But the people that listen to our program are take the admonition that Paul gave in Berea and said, "Be like the Bereans." Oh, they do, and, 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 and they, they hold us accountable. They which hold is us good, and they hold us accountable, which is great. And <laughs> yes, our first question good. kind of illuminates that. Yeah. And this is from Jason, and Jason says, "Last week you spoke of the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17, and how it may be a cause for the kickoff of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war." In my reading of Ezekiel 38, 8 through 12. It appears that Israel is dwelling safely and in prosperity when this war is initiated, which leads me to believe the war of Gog and Magog is not a response in a series of progressive military volleys, such as an Israeli decimation of Damascus would cause, but rather a relatively unprovoked attack. 
Could it be that the destruction of Damascus is part of the fallout of God's destruction of the northern Israel slash southern Syria region that is described in Ezekiel 39? Yeah, again, a great question. We get really good, very thoughtful questions. And um, first of all, let me say yes, in very in a very quick way, let me answer and say yes, that is possible. Um, you know, let me give a balance to this. Nobody really knows, Jason, the way this is going to play out. We don't know that. All we know for sure is Damascus is going to be destroyed. We know that for sure. We also know for sure that um, Russia and Iran are going to move against Israel from the northern border, as well as Turkey and Libya and and uh, Sudan joining with them and other countries. We know that. Uh, but let me give some background of why uh, I mentioned that as being a possible trigger. Here's the thing. You know, you talked about it. I, I never thought about it. I mean, it could be a progressive volley. I haven't really necessarily thought it would be like this volley of increased activity going, going, going. It might be uh, until finally they move in and attack. But my thought for Damascus is when you're talking about Russia moving into Israel, that's a pretty heavy. Iran has wanted to attack Israel forever. Uh, I say forever. In recent history, a lot. And um, and so it's not going to take much for them to go in there, but they're afraid of Israel. It's, it's like they're, they know if they do that, they're going to get pounded if they're not successful. And mm-hmm. maybe even if they are successful. Right. Well, Russia, again, Russia doesn't have any beef with Israel. They're supporting Iran and all that. But Russia knows that you know, if they're going to come in, it's going to be something major to pull Russia into this. So, um, you know, could it be? It could be any number of, of, of scenarios. It could be a slow battle building up until finally that's it. We're coming in. And yes, you have the the destruction there in 39 of the northern region. Um, or it could be, as I said, um, and I've often thought the possibility of a trigger like Damascus. And here's the reason why, Jason. Again, we don't know, so I can't say for sure. Um, but it's going to take something major that goes above and beyond the norm to get Russia to move into Israel. It wouldn't, and, the, and really, I'll say this: it, it would have to be above and beyond the norm to get Iran to go into Israel. Because although Iran's constantly threatening Israel, even again this week, they said all they need is one, you know, battle to wipe them out, etc. Um, they're they're afraid to do so. They know again this mutual not annihilation. If we try to annihilate them, they're going to wipe us out. So mm-hmm. they're afraid to go in. Right. Um, so let me hit it from a couple of ways. As far as the there's peace, it says there'll be peace and safety. Right now, they have peace and safety in that they have a military that protects them from attack and surprise attack, and people fear them because they're a very mighty military with nuclear weapons, um, and they are very prosperous. They're one of the most prosperous nations in the world. I think Israel uh, is now like something like they're in the top 10 of the most prosperous nations in the world now. Yeah, the statistics are amazing from yeah. an economic standpoint when you consider how small they are. Absolutely. Yeah. So so right now, they fit the definition of prosperous yeah. and um and protected um and the reason that stood out to ezekiel in that day was back then if you didn't have walls around your city you wouldn't be protected your protection was your wall because you didn't have nuclear weapons and these kind of things well now they don't need a wall although they have one in parts of israel they don't need it because they have nuclear weapons that is the wall so it talks about uh, the last days being a time of unwalled villages so they don't need them they have the weapons so they have their military they have their finances they are safe right now and in prosperity so that's when it's going to happen. So it could happen at any moment based on that. Um, but again, because it, 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 it's almost like, let me give you an example of why I kind of tend toward it being some kind of trigger. Now, again, it, it may not be. You could be right. It may just slowly build up and just happen uh, or be a surprise attack. But there's going to be some trigger, I think. Well, you know, I'm the youngest of four. And um, I always knew that if I took retribution on my brothers, I, had to, I, had, you know, I, had to, I was going to pay for it. So I had to calculate when is it worth it. I had to be mad enough. They had to push me beyond a certain point where I'm saying, I know I'm going to be hurt, but it's worth it. It's worth being hurt because at this point, I've got to take action. I've got to strike them and hurt them. I'm so angry. And I remember one time my brother, he made me so mad. I finally just smacked him really hard and took off running. Well, I knew he could outrun me, and I knew that when he caught me, he would make me pay dearly. And he did. He caught me and really hit me so hard. He made this big red hand on my back that was there for like an hour. You could see a, literally a big red hand on my back. I mean, it was, it was like fire. It almost knocked the wind out of me. It was, he hit me as hard as he could and, um, and really did some damage. But I don't regret that. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah. Now, again, as a Christian, I'm, I'm talking I know, about I as know, a kid. I know, I know. So my point is, I knew that their, his power was greater than mine, but the anger got so great that I had to take action. My thought with Iran is Iran is going to something's going to have to happen to make them so angry that it's worth the pain that they'll get in response from Israel. And so when you talk about what is going to happen, that's going to be so great that could cause pain for them to respond that way. Striking Damascus 
and wiping out Damascus, um, that would be the kind of thing where they would go, okay, we don't care if we die now. We don't care. We, we are, we're going in. They've done too much now, and we're going. And so that's why I've often thought that. I said that it could be a possible trigger. But yeah, could it be a situation where um, you know where it's not a response to progressive military follies, but just some unprovoked attack? It certainly could be. Uh, we certainly know that they they're looking for any opportunity. But the reason I shy a little bit away from that is remember you've got to get Russia on board for Russia to bring an unprovoked attack against Israel. You've got to get them on board. Something has to happen to get them mad at and see. Now, why would Russia then also get pulled into this? And remember, it's going to be a hook in the jaw. Russia has troops in Damascus. They have troops all over Syria. And if Israel feels that the threat is so great to their nation that they're about to be wiped out, they have no choice but to take out the capital of Syria. That's a big deal. If they do that um, and Russian soldiers are there, they've just wiped out Russian military. See, that could be the kind of thing that says to Russia, OK, now we're going to. How dare you attack our troops? We're in. Now, doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. Like I said, this is all speculation. Yeah. We don't know how it's going to happen. We're going to have to wait and see. But those are some of the possibilities. Well, and Jason, to your point, it very well could happen simultaneously yeah. as God is defending Israel and wiping out five-sixths of the invading army yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Here's the it thing. could be after the attack begins. It sure could be. When you look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, and if you go out in, in search of on our Science of the Times section at thewaymedia.net, uh, we've got a map out there for the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. It's kind of like a timeline that Pastor Mark put together. When you take a look at that and you take a look at the things in Revelation, Isaiah 17.1 really isn't mentioned in terms of a timeline thing. So we, we can right. kind of look at Isaiah 17.1 as a prophetic wild card. We don't know where God's going to use exactly that. Right. It could happen as a result of 39, as a result of God defending, or it could be used as a trigger. And remember, revenge is a dish best served cold. So even even if Israel does do that, it could be the trigger for them to finally be resolute, but it might take them a little while to put their plan together to try to do what Ezekiel 38 says they're going to come in and do. So it might not be this immediate, like, you know, uh, Israel takes out Damascus, and then the next day there's this mass invasion. I, I don't know that anything like that would happen that quickly, but either of those scenarios are possible. Yeah, let me throw a curveball yeah. in, which really goes in line with what you just said, Greg, but it might even extend it out longer. I mean, this I don't expect this to happen, but I mean, it could be that this Damascus destruction is totally separate all by itself. I mean, this thing could happen. And, 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 not and, have and a couple to do of years go by before anybody does anything. Yeah. It could be, but I don't think that'll be the case because that would be so dramatic. So worldwide. dramatic. Yes. That would be so dramatic in the Middle East. You're talking about the capital of Syria. Okay. Um, uh, that's the difference in an attack on, you know, someplace in America and the capital and Washington, D.C. So, yeah. so that could be the kind of trigger, I think, that could pull Russia. That definitely Iran would say, that's it. We're going in. And if Russia has agreed, then they could go in as well. And, and, and again, remember Russia also. Uh, they're, they, they're going to be coming in for the spoils. So they're going to want the oil and the gas supply and all that kind of stuff. So there's a number of things that could pull them in. So I don't know that we, do, I don't know that there is a, a real clear answer on this. I'll just say your scenario could be correct. Yep. But I, I tend to lean, only God knows, I tend to lean toward Damascus being some type of trigger event, uh, that kicks the thing off. But, but time will tell. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that, Jason. Uh, our next question, Pastor Mark, is from Josh. And Josh says, I want to ask your thoughts on predestination and whether or not you lean more towards Calvinism or Arminianism and why. Also, do you think this topic of discussion is important in the church? Let me answer the second part first okay, again. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Um, I, you know, I do think it's important in the church, but I think we need to be careful. I, I think it's a very important subject. It has to be addressed but we also want to be careful that we don't cause unnecessary division. Um, you know, it's interesting. You have the Calvinists and the Armenians and all that. And, and at Calvary Chapel, um, you, you kind of find that where our position traditionally has been is, is a little bit of both. We kind of see a little bit of both, but can't really adhere to either. And so we've jokingly called ourselves Calvinians, um, kind of as this mixture of, of, of both. But um, but I do think it's an important subject, and I'll, I'll address it this way. I don't think we should head out 
and start a war. For example, I don't think the Calvinists should go out and start attacking everybody that's not a Calvinist. I think that's going to cause division in the church. And I've seen some of that. And that, that causes concern for me because I don't think that's, it's not a salvation issue. And so therefore, you know, we talk about the hills to die on. You've got the things that you're, that are worth fighting for and it's all worth fighting for, but things that are worth like just losing everything for and then not losing everything for. Um, this is not a salvation issue. If you don't believe in Calvinism or you do, it's not going to determine whether or not you go to heaven. That's going to be your commitment to Jesus Christ. So I don't think there should be the attack coming in that direction. But I would also say that I think we have to be very careful for those who don't lean toward Calvinism, that there's not an attack on Calvinism either, um, simply just to attack it um, because it causes division. I think the key is, is to address these issues biblically as you come to them. And, you know, as much as God talks about it, I think we should be talking about it. And I do, I do want to say this. First of all, on predestination. The, the Bible very clearly teaches predestination, but that doesn't in any way reinforce Calvinism. Um, predestination is something that God does and could easily do and still give man a choice. And what do I mean by that? Well, if God knows in advance who's going to choose him and who's not, all he has to do is predestine those he knows will choose him. And then when they follow through and choose him, he predestined and they chose He's still sovereign, and he gave man a choice. And I lean toward man having a choice. Why? Because all through the Bible, we see that God gives man a choice. Look, this began in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, he gave the two trees. You can eat of one or the other. I'm telling you not to eat this one, but I'm not stopping you. You have the free um, agency. Free will. Free will to do that. So you make your choice. And, of course, they made their own choice. And we see free will all through the Bible. Again, God challenges them in in the wilderness when they would come out of Egypt and says, choose this day whom you will serve. Well, if there's no opportunity to choose, as, as Calvinism would teach, if there's no opportunity to choose, well, then why did God say that? Is God playing a game with them? Is God being dishonest? I mean, I don't think either of those are true. So I have to conclude, based on the character of God as I know him from Scripture, that we have a choice. And you see all through the Bible um, a choice. Jesus, when the rich man came to Jesus, he said, go and sell all that you have and follow me. And the rich man had a choice to sell all that he had and follow Jesus or to not sell all that he had and not follow Jesus. And sadly, he chose to not sell all that he had and not follow Jesus, at least at that point. We don't know ultimately what he did, but that's what he chose then. And so we see the Lord gave him a choice. And so choice is all through the Bible. Now, I want to add something else to this, Josh. Um, I guess if you say which one I lean, I, I, de- I definitely would not you know, lean toward Calvinism or call myself a Calvinist. Um, but I don't consider myself an Arminianist either. I really just consider myself, and I don't mean to sound trite when I say this, I'm just a Christian. And I just believe the Bible for what it says straight up. And I see... Um, you know, some elements that they hold to in their points of Calvinism, I see that in Scripture, but as a whole, I can't adhere to it doctrinally. But I do see um, a choice, and that's the big, I guess the big stumbling block for me is I see that choice. And and God not only talks about choice in Scripture and lines it out in Scripture, what I've noticed about God is that he does, and this is in multiple areas, he built into the Jewish culture his truths. I mean, it's just all through the Bible. You'll just see the truths built into the culture And God did that because he not only wanted to say it in word, he wanted it lived out through his people, and it was. Let me give you one very classic example of of, um, why I can't adhere uh, to the Calvinistic side. In the marriage, just briefly about the marriage in that day, here's what would happen. In the marriages of that day, built into the culture, again, which I think is a picture that God built in, it it was predetermined sometimes before the child was even born. You talk about predestination. It was predestined for that child, for for my child to marry your child, for example. They they would actually arrange the marriages in advance. We can see the same example here of the bride of Christ being arranged in advance, predestined to marry Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the, the fathers, interestingly enough, they would predestine their children to be married before the children even knew what was going on. And oftentimes, even, as I said, before they were born. And then when they came to marriable age... Um, they would have the ceremony where they'd come together and they'd say, all right, son, you know, this is the one that I chose for you. Here's your bride. And now they would come to this point where he would come to ask the bride and he would go to the bride and he would offer the bride in the public square that have witnesses and everything. He would give the bride a cup of wine and he would offer her the wine saying, will you marry me? 
And and so as he handed her the wine, it, it was it was asking, "Would you marry me?" And what she did with that wine determined whether what was predestined was going to happen or not. She now had a choice, and she could override that predestination of the dad if she pushed that wine glass back and said, "No, I, I'm not going to marry you." And that happened historically. If she did that, of course, it'd be very sad and be a, a horrible day for the groom if he loved her. Um, but she was given the choice till the last moment to accept or reject. If she rejected that preordained or predestined marriage was off. It was done. So in that, in that situation, and of course, if she took the one and drank it, it was good. And I'm not going on all the things with marriage. I'll just say this. I think even built into the Jewish wedding, God gave a picture of what he's done with his wedding with the bride of Christ and Jesus Christ. The father determined, I want you to marry my son prior to even birth, but he's still given us a choice so that when it comes to that day where the Lord hands the cup to us and says, will you drink of my table? Will you eat of my body, drink of my blood? Will you be my bride, so to speak, which was a picture really of the last supper as he gave that to the disciples. You know, we can push that cup back and say, no, I don't want to do this. And so it doesn't take away from God's sovereignty, but it allows mankind to have the freedom of choice in, in what has been preordained, if you will. And I'll give you one other quick example of that, because uh, I don't want to belabor it too long. But I think about, you remember when Abraham sent his servant uh, to go and get a bride um, for Jacob, and he goes to get the bride, or for Isaac, rather, I'm sorry, goes to get the bride for Isaac, and, um, and they find, of course, Rebecca, and, um, and they say, hey, we're family, and they sent, here's the gifts, I'm, I'm asking for a hand, and again, they were, they were eating and drinking together, um, you know, again, they, and when they said, okay, we'll do it, the family agreed. The family said, yes, we'll let her marry you and all this going on. But they said something very interesting. Although we've now agreed as fathers, okay, Laban being the, the, the father, you know, in that sense of, of, of uh, you know, watching over the family. And then, of course, the representative for Abraham coming there, they agreed. But there's an interesting thing. Before the, it was sealed, they called her in the room. And they said to her, they said, so... Will you go with this man? Because he asked. He finally just said, hey, I need to know. You've kept me here five days. I need to get back to my, my master and take his bride back. Are you going to let me have her as a bride? They said, yes, we agree as families. We agree as fathers that this is ordained. We'll do this. We'll let this happen. But let's ask the bride. They brought the bride in, and she had the final say. If she had said, no, I don't want to marry him, it would have been called off. And she would not have gone to go back and marry Isaac. But instead, she said, yes, I will go and I will marry him. So all through the Bible, we see choice. All through the Bible, we see the example of even in marriage that it's preordained and yet the bride still has the option to say no. And I think the same thing is true today. I think that God has, has, has seen those who will choose him. I believe he then predestined them before we were born. And then we find out when we get older and make that choice whether or not we're going to be one that says yes or one that says no, but we still had that freedom of choice. And I'll add this one last thing. I keep saying last thing, but this one last thing. Let me just make this point, Josh. Love without a choice is not love. If you are forced to marry someone or you are forced to make a decision, then that's not love. Love is when you choose to reciprocate you choose to say yes you love me i love you in return and what reward would it be for jesus if all of us were forced due to predestination that we're all forced to accept jesus as lord i mean if 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 you think about that he would never really know do you love me because you love me or did i make you love me now he would know the answer to that we would never know and I would know, I, I, I have to say, we're made in his image, which means we should have some of the same thoughts. I would say for me, I would never be satisfied with a, with a bride, temporarily or eternally, that I thought had to love me because I made that decision for her before she ever had a chance to make any decision on her own. No, I want her to be free and look at me and say, yes, I choose to love you. And I say yes to this proposal. So I hope that answers your question, uh, and that's where I stand on it. Uh, and Pastor Mark, I'll add this too, uh, and for you, Josh, and for those that are listening. The biblical precept that God does not contradict himself. 
So if if we understand that and allow Scripture to interpret Scripture and take God's Word from an exegetical point of view, which means, you know, we're just going to take what God's Word says and not take it out of context— when we take a look at the verses the Armenian, uh, the, that the Calvinist stands on, those verses are true. They're not taken out of context. When we look at the verses the Armenianist uses, those verses are true. They're not taken out of context. The biblical precept that God does not contradict himself is true. So how can both of these verses that seem so diametrically opposed to one another, that causes such conflict, if we approach it exegetically, then we take away the I'm right and you're wrong, but God, where are you bringing the balance in? Where are you making these things come together? And we believe that scripturally one of the best places where it comes together is out of the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 15 when he's talking about the parable of the the vine in the branches that's right and when you read the words of Jesus there's lots of ifs there's lots of conditional statements that Jesus is making and saying if you abide these things happen if you don't abide these things happen and so Jesus himself is indicating that you can't lose your salvation, but you can leave your salvation. You have a choice. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And that very that's a great way to end that. I remember yeah. Pastor Chuck used to say, you know, because the word abide means to stay in. It literally means remain yeah. in. Well, you can't be in the Lord. If he's the vine over the branches, you can't be in him unless you've been born again. Because none of us are born in the Lord. We have to be born mm. again to be in the Lord. So once we're once we're a branch, that means we are born again. We're in him. So it's interesting for him to say, as long as you stay in me, you'll have eternal life. If you don't stay in me, you won't. And that may make some people upset, but that's simply what the Lord said. And they try to say that by cutting off the branches of pruning. I've never cut a branch off that got healthier. Um, it died. So he's very clear. And he says, those branches will be thrown into the fire. So here's the answer I really love. And I think Pastor Chuck summed it up the best for me um, when I heard him say this. He said, look, for those who say, you know, you, you can't leave your salvation or, or you can leave your salvation. He, he agreed. You can't lose it, but he, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't leave it. And he would say, for those who say that, look, just abide. And it's never an issue. Just abide. Don't ever just, if, if you just abide, you don't have to even worry what the answer to the question is. Just abide. And for those who would say, yeah, but once you've tasted God's glory, you could never leave. You could never walk away. Once you've seen his glory, once you've tasted it. Well, let me, my answer to that is simply this. Ask the fallen angels. Yeah. Uh, they saw his glory. They were saved. They were in his kingdom. They were a part of it. He called them sons of God. But when they chose to rebel, he kicked them out eternally. And now they'll never have another opportunity to re-enter that kingdom. So I think, you know, if anything, if nothing else, there should be enough fear in our hearts to not take that chance. We may get to heaven and find out, you know what? I'm completely wrong and, and all this whole viewpoint, whatever. Fine. Not a salvation issue. Right. But here's the thing. Um, this should put enough fear in our hearts to say, I'm not going to take a chance. I think I'll just remain in a bike. Because everybody wants to say, you know, can you leave your salvation? Can you not? Again, I get back to that simple answer. Just abide. If you abide, it is a non-issue. And oftentimes, Greg, I found the people that are asking that question, they're looking for an out because there's a temptation to sin. They're thinking about, well, if I sin and I can't ever you know, be removed from heaven, then maybe I can dabble in this some, right? But you don't need to dabble with it. It's, you know, the, those of you that are old enough remember uh, W.C. Fields, and they said he was not a believer, but when he was dying, he, he had a Bible reading it at his bed, and somebody asked him, said, W.C., why are you reading the Bible? He said, looking for loopholes. <laughs> you know, and we laugh about that, but they're, they're you know, again, uh, the idea is there we shouldn't be looking nature. for loopholes. Yeah. We just need to be saying, you know what, I'm not going to take any chances. Yeah. Because man, man is flawed. I could be wrong. Others could be wrong. Just abide it is a non-issue if you abide. And when we yeah. get to the kingdom, we're going to find out. That's it. Great questions. Thank you, guys. If you've got a question like uh, like Josh and, um, and like Jason did today, uh, we invite you to visit thewaymedia.net. Click Signs of the Times. Don't go anywhere else. Just click Signs of the Times and go to Ask a Prophecy Question. And we'll make sure to get it on our next broadcast. 
But don't go anywhere. We've got lots of articles to get to talking about God's prophetic word as Signs of the Times continues. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. I grew up in Texas, so I love learning inspirational stories of fellow Texans. Tremaine Brown is a University of Texas student-athlete graduate. He owns and operates a restaurant called Sheely's with his mother. Known for its southern dishes like chicken fried chicken, brisket nachos, and catfish, Sheely's developed a reputation built on years of being generous to the community. The Amarillo Globe News describes Brown as a blessing to thousands of Amarillo school children and families. He describes himself as a vessel trying to do God's work. When the pandemic reached Amarillo and schools closed, Brown knew they'd be hungry children. So he and his seven-year-old daughter sacked up lunches for months. Family, friends, and businesses donated time, food, and money to support the effort. By November, they'd given away around 90,000 free lunches. Brown told the news, I always saved my money and came up with some kind of way that I could use that money to save Sheely's. But at the same time, put it back into the community. Now, Brown's a single father. He teaches his daughter that you don't have to know people to love them. It's way better to give than to receive. And there's a lot of people that don't have all the blessings that she has. And if you have more, you should do more. Colossians 3.12 reads, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Thanks, Tremaine Brown, for living this out. Now, if credit card debt prevents you from being generous, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They can create a debt management plan just for you. For more information, call the Crown Helpline, 800-722-1976, or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. There's all kinds of things on your mind, I know that. In order for you to follow along with me, it requires a work of God's Spirit to keep you focused. A lot of worries, a lot of concerns, a lot of happiness, a lot of plans, a lot of humanity, a lot of difficulty, a lot of condemnation, a lot. And one of the ways that God can really grasp our attention is why we do it first, is let's gather together in song. And let's just sing about the goodness of God. Because we can sing about the goodness of God, even if we're experiencing the badness of the world. And we should. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, May 7th, 2021, episode 168, coming your way shortly. Or you could, if you're listening to it right now as a podcast, it's already there. How about that? Uh, that's just kind of us looking into the future. Being outside of time, knowing that it'll be there. That was a joke. Pastor Mark, clearly not listening to a word I'm saying. <laughs> hey, I'm always doing is, research during the well, whole show. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm always on to something. I, here. I'm just teasing you. All right. I, well, I should have been paying attention. Well, I missed your joke. Well, here, well, here's a cue that will wake you up. Give me the joke. Ah, uh, yes. Israel. I'm Israel. awake. Okay, now you're awake. Okay. Let's get into some articles. The first one is from Israel365news.com. Israel, now this is like shocker, (laughs) Israel fails to persuade uh, the current U.S. administration uh, to make a less dangerous nuclear deal with Iran. Yeah, you're right, Greg. We know this administration is not going to stand with Israel. They've made that very clear. But what astounding to me is is that I I see the foolishness here because of a lack of understanding of the Bible and what God says. Let's read the article first. It says, despite efforts to influence the terms of a new project deal between Iran and Western powers, Israel's security establishment was disappointed at the outcome of their discussions with their counterparts in Washington Reports, Walla. Again, that's their Washington Reports article. Uh, leading the Israeli envoy was Major General Tal Kalman, 
who was promoted from Brigadier General to Strategy and Third Circle uh, Directorate, an entirely new position on the general staff, which focuses primarily on Iran. According to sources in the IDF, Biden is completely determined to deter to return rather to the 2015 Iran nuclear agreement and to advance a more long-term plan in its wakes uh, in its wake sources also disclose that Biden is obsessed with sticking to the terms of the old agreement and will announce it in the near future before June this will enable Tehran to showcase their accomplishment to the Iranian people before their national elections so he's, he's actually helping them not only against Israel but helping them in their elections Officials in Israel's uh, defense establishment have tried to influence their American counterparts and to emphasize the fact that Iran is under pressure to present their people with a deal by Election Day in June. This can be used as leverage against the Islamic Republic to modify the deal since their backs are against the wall. I don't know how much they're going to modify anything. Uh, It says, but despite best efforts, it appears as though Biden's cabinet is determined to get the deal over with. And for Biden to move on with more important issues, end quote, like coronavirus, economy, Russia, and China. In other words, I don't care about leverage. Let them have what they want. Listen to this. The Americans listened but aren't forthcoming with details of the deal. They are being, here's what Israel's officials saying, Greg. They, Americans, they are being very difficult with everything when it comes to the terms of this accord in the IDF. Uh, the IDF said, they've also learned that Iran is refusing to return to the old agreement with the Americans and will not make any changes to the 215 accord, 2015 accord. Additionally, President Biden will remove the sanctions that U.S. President Donald Trump put in place. In other words, he's giving them everything they want, and he's removing any uh, leverage that he had to get anything that would be good for us or for Israel. This last part, listen to this. Israel's defense officials have arrived at the conclusion that President Biden wants to get the deal over with and that there is basically no chance that they will make any changes to the 2015 agreement. Here's the bottom line that what that let me interpret that biblically. Uh, They have determined that President Biden is going to stand against the word of God and will not budge. That's what that means, because the Bible says in Genesis three, I will bless those who bless Israel. I will curse those who curse Israel. And by allowing this deal to go back in, you're basically saying you can now build nuclear weapons with our blessing and our sanction. And we're even going to take the pressure off you to stop. And and yes, you said you want to use it to destroy Israel and that you will destroy Israel if you can with it. But I don't care. I've got more important things to do than obey God's word and to worry about the, the tiny little nation of Israel. So have what you want. Do what you want. We're going to go back here and do this or whatever. Very, very unwise um, leadership we have, Greg, that, that doesn't really understand the Bible. It's very fearful for us as a nation. And I do see America uh, more and more, God just allowing us to collapse. You, you used to wonder, how will America go out? Will we be destroyed? We may. It may just be a collapsing of America. I was walking to the mall a couple of days ago, and I was seeing all the closed stores and very few people. And it felt like the, the a holiday was about to begin. It felt like Christmas Eve. Everybody's closing up shop, and we're about to all go home to have holiday. And I realize that's exactly what's happening right now with America and the world. God is closing up shop. We're getting ready to go home, and I think the rapture is right around the corner. I don't know, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but it's, it's really the, the signs are all around us. We are self-destructing, and God has allowed us, either given or allowed us to have leadership now that, is, that doesn't know his Bible, doesn't know his word, so they probably don't even know they're in direct defiance to God's word. But they are, and because of that, that will always bring a consequence. It's very sad for our nation. Uh, Pastor Mark, our next article comes from IsraelNationalNews.com, dated May 4th. According to Jordan, the Temple Mount belongs only to the Muslims. Yeah, this is interesting. First of all, let me just say this statement again. The Bible says that God owns the Temple Mount. It belongs to Jesus Christ. That is going to be the throne of the great king, the Bible says. So it's Jesus's, and he has chosen to give it to the Jews. We will soon see his throne there in Jerusalem, and we'll be going, for those of us that know him, there to celebrate on a regular basis and to hear the word of God coming from the word of God himself. Can't wait. Um, but this is in their delusion to somehow try to, again, once again, remove God's people, the Jewish people, from what God said they could have uh, in their inheritance. Jordanian Foreign Ministry uh, says the entire area of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that, mosque, that is the mosque there on the Temple Mount, is a place of worship for Muslims only. The Jordanian foreign ministry on Monday sent an official protest memorandum to Israel demanding that it stop what it, de- it defined as, I quote, provocations in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. 
and respect the historical and legal status quo of the authority of the WAF, that is, those that watch over from Jordan. Now, this is interesting. He said, respect the historical. It may be legal right now, but it is not historical. Historically, it has belonged to the Jews. The ministry condemned Israel for permitting extremists, they said, to enter the mosque under Israeli security for the last 10 days of Ramadan. Um, Al Fayez, the spokesman for the Jordanian foreign ministry, called Israel's actions in Jerusalem a blatant violation. Uh, here again, they say of uh, the historical. It is not historical that the Jews would have it if we were historical. And the legal status quo, international law, which who cares? Uh, this is none of their business. It's God and Israel. And the obligations of Israel, the occupying power in East Jerusalem, and the sanctity of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So the bottom line is they're, they're getting upset because they're allowing Jews up on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount was left in the hands of the WAFC, the Jordanian officials, following uh, Jerusalem's reunification in 1967. It was a, a decision, it says, that then-Defense Minister Moshe Dayan made. He was trying to keep World War you know, III from breaking out. Um, but... Uh, again, they allow the Jews to come up there, but they don't like it. And so there's this whole dispute. I think really it's nothing more, Greg, than it happens to be a major Jewish, I'm sorry, a major uh, Islamic holiday, Ramadan. And the fact that Jews are up there, it gives them all the more reason to be antagonistic and mad. How dare they come around because they should never be up here, much less in our, our feasts or whatever. Um, but, you know, they're going to continue to be up there. And eventually the Temple Mount will be turned over permanently after it's divided up, I think, by the Antichrist for, for a few years. It'll be turned over permanently to Jesus Christ and those among the Jews and Gentiles that are his followers. So sad, but that's where we are. Pastor Mark, our last uh, article for Israel Today comes from Israel Today, dated April 28th, saying that after the Suez blockade, has remember that uh, yes. uh, that cargo ship yes. that had blocked the Suez Canal, it, this article now says that Israel could become a major oil transporter. Please explain. Yes, well, because it made everybody panic, Greg, because the flow of oil going into that region got mm. shut down. Everybody started thinking, and Israel started thinking, too, and said, hey, we can funnel this oil another way, and right. if that happens again, or, or even if it doesn't, we're not held hostage to that. And listen to what it says. After the giant container ship uh, Ever Given, which is the name, blocked the Suez Canal for, uh, for the last month, causing a long queue of waiting ships, an existing heavy oil pipeline linking Elat in the Red Sea to Ashkelon on the Mediterranean coast is coming back into focus. The oil port of Elat can receive tankers up to 350 DWT. I'm not sure what that stands for, but that's a lot of oil. <laughs> and the port of Ashkelon tankers up to 250 tons, 250,000 tons. Egypt itself also has an oil pipeline as a bypass for the Suez Canal. This Sumed pipeline has a capacity of 2.5 million barrels per day. That is more than the tip line. But Elat can accommodate larger oil tankers as well. So talks are underway between them, United Arab Emirates, about them giving oil to them. They'd be Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. uh, there also have uh, talks underway about um, other people receiving, you know, uh, even, even Russia talking about oil somehow coming through their Russia oil tankers. The pipeline could be used to transport Russian oil. From the Black Sea or the Caspian Sea, uh, three a lot uh, to South Asia and Far East. So here's the bottom line. Sum this up. Israel is jumping on an opportunity here to say, hey, we don't want that to ever happen again. We're going to give more oil pipeline through our, you know, to increase their economy and give them more ability to do business with their oil and their gas and letting other people pass through with their oil and their gas. But, Greg, more than that, it increases the value of the oil and gas in Israel, it increases the value of Israel, and it Although they're saying they'll let Russia transport oil through there, it makes it much more tempting for Russia to come in and take over because now Russia wants that oil, as we know, and Russia will eventually move, as Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us. So this could be just, again, I believe it is, further setting of the stage for Russia to make their move. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll come back over here to America. And uh, we go to uh, Christianity Daily talking about uh, the U.S. government not allowing the National Day of Prayer to be held at the U.S. Capitol this year, which, of course, National Day of Prayer was yesterday. Yeah. So the question is, was, was this report true? Yes, okay. indeed it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, And again, just briefly, for the first time in years, it says no prayer service could, would be conducted at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, as one evangelical leader from a Christian group reportedly was denied use of the venue. According to Christian headlines, after his request to host this year's National Day of Prayer at the Capitol building on Thursday, May 6th, uh, they refused the Reverend Patrick Mahoney, director of the Christian Defense Coalition. He said free speech is now in danger. Look, free speech has been in danger. In danger. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. really. He says, get this. And this is a true statement because listen to this. 
it is deeply troubling that for the first time in 70 years, there will be no public prayer at the United States Capitol on the National Day of Prayer. Uh, Every American needs to be asking the question, how is it possible to have a public prayer prohibited on a Capitol at the National Day of Prayer, especially when it's called the, the People's Congress? I find the number 70 very interesting yeah. in that article. Yeah, it is. And, and we'll see if there's significance because, again, we know seven in Scripture, number of com, uh, completion, 70 being that whole picture of completion. You know, again, there may be something. Um, I think I, I think about captivity. I, Israel led into Babylon for 70 years. Yeah. I just, uh, the number 70 in Scripture just. Well, kinda... it, it may be great. Who knows? We'll see. It could even be an indication. You know what? This will. This is the end of prayer nationally. This is the end of, of prayer. Maybe there won't be any more prayer at the Capitol. We'll find out. But it's interesting to see. Um, um, the opposition from uh, the Biden administration, the current administration to um, uh, the Lord and against the church and against Israel. I mean, I, I know they don't know it. It's a spiritual thing. But the fact that they wouldn't allow prayer to be there, that doesn't surprise me at all. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, it, you know, Greg, it's interesting. Even in his statement, I don't think we have an article about his statement that he made about the National Day of Prayer. So I'll mention this. No, but you can go and Google his proclamation right. that he made. Right. But he didn't mention God in yes. there. Yeah, he didn't even mention God. I mean, this is the National Day of Prayer. He didn't even mention God. And again, remember, the, the, the platform of, of the whole Democratic Party the last few years is that we're not going to mention God. They removed God out of their entire platform. So this is a planned, calculated thing. And so they're saying, we don't want God. And the problem is, when you have leadership of, of, the na- of a nation that doesn't want God, the entire nation suffers the consequences. But God has allowed it. America's making their choices, and, and I fear for us very greatly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't gone after In God We Trust on our uh, U.S. currency and coin. So yeah, I'm sure uh, don't be surprised be, if that doesn't surface. Well, I would say, obviously, when the digital stuff comes in, the Antichrist, yeah. that won't be there. Oh, yeah, that absolutely not. All right, uh, let's get to some one world government, because you want to know what? Everyone's going to serve the Antichrist right. if That's you're right. still right. here on Earth. Uh, TheBlaze.com is reporting that the Great Reset is about to become the law in Europe, and America could be next. Pastor Mark, first of all, what is the Great Reset? Yeah, this is interesting, Greg. They're using this global crisis of this coronavirus to try to change the entire world. They've been waiting. Oh, yeah. They've been waiting in the wings to change the entire world system. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Yes. Economically, uh, uh, you know, the way the nations run, borders, everything. Yes. Which the Bible tells us the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, is heading up and the antichrist will eventually head up so this is a demonic spirit doing all this but they call it the great reset and they're saying let's get on this now before any republicans get back in or anybody that gets in there with any christian viewpoint let's just change the world real quickly let's all work together and they literally are going with with what they call the great reset um let me read some of it citing concerns over climate change and of course they're using that one in a huge way as well of course uh, and the golden opportunity, end quote, for societal change created by the COVID-19 pandemic, again, they would say never let a crisis go to waste, is a, literally uh, one of their statements. The World Economic Forum launched in June 2020 a radical Great Reset initiative in partnership with various leaders from the public and private sectors. That is to redo the world. Let's just redo the world while we have the chance. CEOs of major corporations, as well as banks, central banks, financial institutions, labor unions, international organizations, government leaders, including John Kerry, uh, the Biden administration's climate czar, quickly signed on to the plan, which pledges to push the reset button on the global economy. As World Economic Forum head Klaus Schwab wrote in the op-ed of Great Reset published in June, and I quote, the world must act jointly and swiftly. This is the key. They've got to move fast while the opportunity is there. You're not going to do this with a President Trump in. We have to move jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects. Note this. All aspects of our societies and economies from education to social contrast to working conditions. Everything top to bottom, now's our chance. Guys, let's rock and roll, in other words. Every country from the United States to China must participate. Okay, no no option, no choice. And every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. Notice the words must here. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. That is, get rid of it. Become worldwide socialism and allow the Antichrist to come into power so he can control Supporters of the Great Reset aim to alter the global economy through two different form stra- uh, reform strategies. 
The first is to create a variety of new government programs, including policies similar to the far-left Green New Deal resolution proposed in 2019 by New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. The second, even more reaching part of this great reset is the widespread adoption of the environmental, social, and governance standards which change the way businesses are evaluated. So here's the bottom line. I think it's clear. But they're using all these different crises. They're, they're claiming a, a, um, a, a climate crisis, which, again, there's no climate crisis. There is none. God is in control. It's not, it's not about whether or not things are changing. Here's my point. If you want to argue whether things are changing, that's not my point. My point is, whether or not things are changing, there's no crisis because God has promised he will hold all things together until he comes back and completes his plan. So God is the one responsible to make sure that we have enough air to breathe and food to eat and, and atmospheric whatever. So first of all, that's not that should be a non-issue to the Christian. And although the world doesn't know it, it's a non-issue to the world. But they're using it. Secondly, in addition to that, they're saying they're, they're using the whole COVID thing, saying now... We've got to revamp from top to bottom. Let's go. The time is short, which I find interesting, Greg, because Jesus said when this end times process begins, it will go quickly. And I believe it has begun. Time will tell. But I think it has begun. Did uh, uh, Klaus Schwab's brother, Cotton, did he uh, chime in? You know, again, that's interesting to know. I mean, I'm certainly there could be um, some clearing of some ears there if he does. At least you were listening. Okay. Because <laughs> my ears were clear with Schwab. <laughs> Sorry, I you couldn't resist. All right, growing anti-Semitism. Uh, this is from IsraelNationalNews.com. Apartheid Report is questioning Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. Yeah, no shock there. Wow. Look, nobody's wanted Israel to ever exist, or Satan hasn't, and so they've been fighting it forever. This doesn't surprise me at all. The Bible says in the last days in Zechariah that the entire world is going to turn against the nation of Israel. So we're watching exactly the signs of the times that we would expect to be happening, a turning of the world against Israel. And notice what they're using to now delegitimize the nation of Israel, God's nation that he reestablished. It says this, in a report earlier this week, the Human Rights Watch claimed that Israel was guilty of crimes against humanity, including apartheid. And I would just say, why? Because they exist. Let me go on. In the interview, um, uh, the Deutsch said that, uh, and and I quote, I was trying to make sure I said his name right, but either way, and I quote, the report got incredible media coverage in the New York Times and other prime time media outlets. But second of all, this time around it this time around, it's a lengthy report that comes with a series of specific recommendations. Detailing those recommendations, she said the report advises to continue boycotting Israel within its entire borders, not just the little areas they were trying to do now they're saying boycott the whole nation, not just Judea and Samaria. The report calls for sanctions and embargo against Israel and against its officials and citizens. It calls to boycott companies that are engaging in businesses and commerce with Israel, and obviously the coronation of its clear recommendation to pursue a criminal case against Israel at the International Criminal Court in Hague. In other words, let's get alongside Hitler and do everything we can to destroy the Jews. However, she said that although she wouldn't make uh, want to make an assessment, I find it difficult to believe that many countries in Europe definitely would actually implement such measures. Nevertheless, she emphasized the damage of having such a court against or a court and a case against Israel would be huge, so they shouldn't joke about it. Asked for her opinion of the state of Israel's silence on the report, she said, yes, the state of Israel should also definitely condemn reports like that, because what are we actually talking about? We're talking about a report by an allegedly leading global human rights voice that says Israel has no right to exist as a Jewish community. This is what it's about. The report actually attacks the law of return and says that that is... Um, Jews can't come back into the land and says that that's one of the reasons why it calls Israel apartheid because the law of return by them is seen as an incremental part of the demographic policy of the state of Israel since its inception to change and Judaize the land. And this is what we're talking about. Here's the bottom line. Anyway, they can delegitimize Israel and, and Israel's not saying anything about it. But, but again, the whole world will turn against them, Greg. We've got to stand with them and all believers should. And we really shouldn't underestimate this article and where something like that could go. Because yeah. if you were, if we remember, we were talking Jason's question about Ezekiel 38 and 39, a legal edict from a world court could also be the trigger. Yeah. For a an invasion. Oh yeah, 
to well, say well, to yeah. say to say like a search warrant. Think, think of it like credibility. I've got a search warrant. I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to confiscate whatever you've got because yeah. I've got the legal right to do so. I've got the warrant in yeah. my hand. Yeah, look, world, everybody's against them. Let's do this. And so from a legal standpoint, and that's exactly what Hitler did, by the way. Yeah. Hitler changed the laws in the land that basically made it illegal to be a Jew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, people are justifying, so, they're justifying yeah. things that are being said to carry out their actions. We're seeing that here in America. Uh, and now, again, this is going to be the same thing on the an international level, Greg. I mean, I think you're right. This is just another attack against Israel, another blow toward Israel. And it's going to, it's going to add up to a results of an, of an attack and discrediting the nation. Yeah. So don't underestimate a legal route being used to fulfill prophecy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, head to the church. Uh, this is really sad. And, and it really, I don't even know that the, they are a church. If well, they they're were, not. they're definitely they're apostate not. at this point. Yeah, they're not a Christian However, church. However, um, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is calling uh, one church, uh, saying they're an op- open revolt against God because they are celebrating a drag queen Sunday. Yeah, this is so shocking to me. And, and, and you know, listen to what it says. An Illinois church recently promoted a drag queen show during its Sunday morning service. That was an example of open revolt against God's intent for humanity, says a prominent author and theologian. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, says the church, Hope United Methodist Church in Bloomington, Illinois, is promoting a different religion than Christianity. And he's right. They are. The church was featured in an April 15th story in Religion News Service, which spotlighted 23-year-old Isaac Simmons, the church's director of operations, who goes by the name of Ms. Penny Cost as a drag queen. The church held a drag Sunday on April 11th in which drag artists sang, prayed, and performed. A drag speaker during the service said the goal was, and I quote, celebrating and uplifting the voices of drag artistry within the church. Drag itself, the speaker said, is divine. The Illinois Great Rivers Conference Vermilion River District Committee on Ordained Ministry recently certified Simmons as a candidate for ministry, uh, RNS reported. He likely is the first drag queen certified in the United Methodist Church, the outlet said. Moeller said the church is rejecting the core teachings of Christianity. Speaking on his podcast, The Briefing, he called it an intentional refutation and revolt against the very order of creation that God has given us and a direct violation of of the clear teaching of Scripture concerning the fact that those whom God has made as men should identify as men, and those whom God has made as women should identify as women. This is found in parallel scriptural teachings, by the way, in both Old and New Testaments. Just to state the obvious, you're looking not only at two different positions, uh, he said, as as we will understand, you're looking at two different religions. And those two different religions cannot possibly continue to exist in one church or one denomination. Here's the bottom line. This is certainly an apostate church. Look, this isn't about loving those people. We'll say it again. We're to love everyone. Jesus died for everyone. But this is an abomination to God, and it's an insult to God. And for the church to promote it is even a greater insult to God and a greater shame. And again, they're bringing judgment on themselves. This, listen, the, the Bible says to stand for the Lord is going to be a fearful day for those who reject God and reject his word. Yeah. So, it, But it makes a larger statement about what's happening, Greg, in this particular movement. The leaders of this movement, if there was still any godliness to them at all, would all come together and say, you're no longer a Methodist church, we're putting you out. And I think it just demonstrates the downfall of this particular movement. It makes me sad. That's my background. I grew up in this background. But I think that this church has pretty much stepped over into complete uh, apostate position now there are don't get me wrong, let me say this there are methodist churches that love the lord and are serving him there are methodist pastors and methodist congregants who love the lord and are serving him i'm not saying that i i acknowledge that but the movement itself i believe this is just again a further indication that the overall leadership of the movement is dead and i i would encourage any believers involved in in this particular movement look if they don't refute this it's time to get out it just is time to get out yeah, all the more reason that uh, we need to be adhering to the Word of God, because Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, and if we're not spending time in God's Word as a church, and as individuals, we're going to yeah. take in the things of the world, and yeah. this is clearly the result of that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking, very sad in many ways. And they think this is a good thing. Yeah. 
Well, again, the Bible yeah. said in the last days there'll be a falling away. Yeah. And there's going to be apostasy. And like I said, I just want to reiterate, I think in every movement, there are true believers and true pastors and those that love the Lord. So I'm not in any way uh, disparaging that. But when you have a movement, if they don't make a stand as a movement against this, I I believe it's time for you now to to get out. You need you need to leave and find some other place to call home. Uh, Pastor Mark, there's a recent study about trauma-informed Bible reading reducing depression, anxiety, and anger. We didn't have time to get to that, but you can get to it if you go to thewaymedia.net, click on episode 168 later on today, and you can read this article. And we encourage you to do so because this is further further proof that God's Word is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you back next time when we have more Signs of the Times. Talking has just begun. Be intentional about who you talk to. We call it prayer. You need it now. And God's listening. There's change coming, and it's arriving within you. When the time comes, share what you're learning because you're talking. God's listening. Pay attention to what you're learning. When you find yourself believing God is all you have, remember you've never needed anything else. It's your time. Pray. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way.